Hello once again, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ, and I thank you for joining us as we study God's Word. Perhaps you've already heard the lesson, Church Growth is Not About Food, Fun, and Family Life Centers. If not, go back and listen to that lesson. It provided nine keys that growth experts have claimed are what churches need to grow. And what we found out there was that what churches need to grow is to follow God's pattern. We want to take a closer look at some of the keys that were in that lesson. The lesson that you're about to hear is taking a closer look at the key that a church needs to be teaching from the Bible. What does that mean for us as a congregation of the Lord? So please open your Bible and learn with us about how a congregation can keep its teaching anchored in the Word. Just a few weeks ago, we took a look at some keys to growing congregations. And we examined, based upon what uh, the folks who we might call church growth experts say. These are folks who have studied churches of every shape and size, of every background, of every faith. They didn't care if it was a denominational church, an independent church. They were just looking at churches that grew. And we studied their list simply because, at times, I think we fear that in order for a church to grow that it's got to be doing unscriptural things. And so we took a look at this list that these supposed experts have placed for us, and we found out that actually none of the things that they saw in churches that were growing are unscriptural at all. But in fact, they're all things that we can do. They're all things that we ought to be doing. We learned that we should teach from the Bible, maintain high standards of commitment, high standards of morality, convince every member that they're needed, increase love and warmth among the brethren, have enthusiastic Bible classes, have good, calm, steady leadership, portray your worship or your collective worship, the congregational worship is special, and have an evangelistic method that produces results. As we're looking into our future, we want to grow, right? All right. Well, if we want to grow, then we need to take a look at these things that we're told will help a congregation to grow and make sure we're doing them. And so, over the next couple of months or so, every once in a while, we're just going to take a look at one of these keys and examine ourselves and make sure that we're doing it and look at what it would take for us to be fulfilling this particular key. And so tonight, we're going to take a look at the very first one of them. We're going to talk about teaching from the Bible and what that means for us as a congregation and how we can fulfill this aspect, this key that's necessary to have a growing congregation. And I know that this just seems absolutely basic, but I figure sometimes we need to start with the basics. We need to talk about those things, otherwise we'll forget them. Before we look at that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you've given us your word. We're thankful that you've let us know what we need to do to serve and honor and glorify you. And we are humbled and amazed at the fact that when people take a look at what causes churches to grow, they find things that are in absolute accordance with your word. And we pray that you would help us to live by your word, to apply it to our lives, to apply it to this congregation. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be strengthened, to do your will above all other things. Father, we've sinned, and we pray that you would forgive us. We've fallen short of your word in our lives this week, and we pray that you would help us to overcome those things for the times that we've not lived according to your word regarding how we talk, regarding how we dress, regarding how we act, or how we think. We pray that you would cleanse our hearts and minds and our hands, and that you would help us to be your servants above all, to be a shining light in this world, that we might draw others into your family. We're so thankful, Father, that you have loved us, and we love you. Through your Son we pray. Amen. When we talk about teaching from the Bible, the very first thing that I want us to notice is the purpose 
of the Lord's church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, Paul told Timothy that, that he wanted to come see Timothy, but in case he was delayed, he said, I'm writing to you so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. I believe 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 provides for us that everything else that we might find throughout Scripture, we can boil it down to this verse for the purpose of Christ's church. The purpose of Christ's church is to be the pillar and support of the truth. It is our job not to decide what is truth, not to vote on what is truth, but to find truth in God's Word and to hold it up for everyone to see. That's our job. That's what the universal body of Christ is supposed to be doing in every part, every member of it. That is what every local congregation is supposed to be doing. That is our job as a congregation here in Franklin, to be the pillar and support of the truth, to hold it up, to defend it, to support it, so that everyone can see it. We recognize from 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26, it says at the end of that verse, let all things be done for edification. It is our job as a body of Christ to make sure that all that we're doing as the body of Christ, that it be done for edification. That is, that it will be done to build people up. And we learn from Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, what the biggest key, what the biggest tool in building others up is. It says in Acts 20 and verse 32, Paul said to the Ephesian elders, and now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Our job is to hold up that truth, to support it, to get it out there for folks to see, to defend it, to edify and lift people up. And the only way we can do that is by getting them into the word of God's grace, because that is what will edify and that is what will provide us the inheritance with the sanctified. If we try any other approach, it's just not going to work. Interestingly, just a couple of days ago, I read one man's definition of a local church. And I really like his definition. It's very short. It's very succinct. He says the local congregation is an independent work group of disciples or of learners. An independent work group of learners. It's independent because it's non-denominational and autonomous or self-governing. It's a work group because every member is supposed to be working as we work together towards the same goal. But the part that really intrigued me regarding our lesson was the fact that it's an independent work group of learners. People who are continuing to learn the truth of God. And while there were quite a few things in this book that I didn't agree with, I thought he hit the nail on the head here. A local congregation, an independent work group of Learners. We read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-8 through 8 this morning, but let's look at it again as it applies to our lesson tonight. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, talking about that work group of learners, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence in your moral excellence, knowledge. And then in verse 8 it says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in Jesus Christ. And so we recognize that we have to be learners. No matter how old we are, no matter how much we've learned, no matter where we are, every single member of this body and everybody who's visiting and members of other bodies, our job is to be learners. And the congregation is to be a place, to be a group, I should say, that facilitates that learning as we learn with one another. 
How is that learning going to take place? Well, once again, we come directly back to the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Actually, let's start up at verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. From childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Where are we going to be? Where do we have to be focused if we're going to be learners? Where does the congregation have to be focused if it's going to be a group, an independent work group of learners? Right here with the Word of God. That's where we find teaching. That's where we find reproof. That's where we find correction. That's where we find instruction in righteousness. This is what is going to help us be adequate and equipped for every good work. And nothing else will do that. Only God's Word will accomplish that. And we need to be ministering that to one another. And this congregation needs to be a work group of learners of that Word. But interestingly, in that same book, and I'll just go ahead and tell you the name. I almost hate to tell you the name. But it's, it's by a fellow named Sam Doss. And the name of the book is What's Wrong with Most Churches of Christ and How They Can Keep from Going Extinct. And uh, he has some good stuff in there. Not all of it. Sometimes I wonder, I don't know which churches he's going to, the things he's complaining about. But uh, he said some good things. And one of them, he talked about this learner concept. And I just want you to, listen, I thought this statement was really good. He said, you know, if we say someone is a student of mathematics or history, we expect that he has some books on the subject, reads and studies those books, has a real interest in the subject, and is accustomed to talking about it. If we ran into someone claiming to be a math student, and he had no math books, never read about math or studied it and hardly knew anything about math, we would seriously doubt the validity of his claim. Don't you think that's true? If I say to you, I am a student of math. I don't know anything about math. I don't have any books. Or I'm a student of history and I don't have any history books. I don't ever talk about history. What would you say? You'd think I was crazy. Or you'd think I wasn't a very good student anyway, wouldn't you? Well, what about when we claim to be students of the Bible? You know, when we say that we are disciples of Christ, disciple means learner. It means student. It means that we're claiming to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from Him. And so the question is, considering this type of thing, we recognize it in, in the, quote, real world. What about with the Bible and what about with Jesus? Would we measure up to this standard of student or learner? Are we somebody who studies the Bible, who reads the Bible, who likes to talk about the Bible, who has resources that will help us learn about the Bible? Are we a learner? This congregation needs to be an independent work group of learners, disciples of Jesus Christ who get into the Word, who study it, know it, and live it. And I want to make one more comment as we consider just this concept of the purpose of the church and the fact that these experts have told us that if you want to grow, you've got to teach from the Bible. One more comment about that before we look at how we can actually practically achieve this purpose. We recognize, of course, that as these experts were looking at all numbers of churches that are teaching all sorts of different doctrines, even though they're claiming from the Bible, we know that not all those churches are really teaching from the Bible, but some of them are twisting what the Bible says to fit what they want to teach. We need to understand this one thing. That we can twist what the Bible says and teach anything about the plan of salvation, teach anything about what Christians are allowed to do or not allowed to do, and we might get more people and fill the church building. But we can only fill heaven when we teach what God really said. 
And we need to remember that our goal is not to fill this church building. Our goal is to fill heaven. James chapter 1 and verse 21. James chapter 1 and verse 21. James said, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the Word implanted, which is able to save your souls. It's only the Word of God, unadulterated, untwisted, that can save souls. And that's what we need to be teaching. And then, as we bring people into the body of Christ, as we bring people into this congregation, as they live based upon what the Word of God says, we'll be increasing the citizenry of heaven. And isn't that a glorious thing? Do we want to be a part of that? Amen. Absolutely. So how are we going to achieve this purpose? How are we going to accomplish this? Well, I think that if we're going to be an independent work group of learners, if we're going to be a church that is teaching from the Bible, there are three areas in which we've got to be doing this. Number one, and the most obvious, is in our assemblies. In our assemblies, as we gather together as the congregation to worship our God and to edify one another, we have got to be teaching from the Bible. Now, obviously, I think the number one thing that we're all going to be thinking about there is that the sermons must come from the Word of God. Would you agree? Absolutely. First Timothy chapter four, excuse me, Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter four, beginning at verse one, Paul talked to Timothy. He said, I solemnly charge you. This is Second Timothy chapter four and verse one. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. When we're preaching, we've got to be preaching from the Word. The sermons have to be based upon the Word of God. We don't need just three psychological points in a poem. We need what God's Word says for our lives and how we can glorify and honor God. And it's not always going to be popular, but we've got to be preaching and teaching that in season and out of season. And when folks are wanting to store up for themselves teachers that tickle their ears and they come in here and say, oh man, that hurt, that didn't tickle, and they leave, we're just going to have to live with that. We've got to be those who are going to preach the Word no matter what anybody else thinks about it. Can we do it diplomatically? Can we do it tactfully? I know some of you question whether or not I can, but I do think it's possible. And I do think we need to try. But we still have to teach the Word of God no matter what. But what else in our assemblies? Is it only the sermon that needs to be anchored in the Word of God? What about everything else that we do? Certainly when we take a look at, at all that we do, we remember, we've already read the passages, 1 Corinthians 14, 26, everything must be done unto edification. And that was specifically talking about the assembly itself. And we also know Acts 20 and verse 32 said that the edification comes from the Word of God. So everything we're doing in the assembly has got to be anchored back within the Word of God. Obviously, that's going to mean that everything we do as we assemble together needs to have scriptural backing. We need to go and have book, chapter, and verse for what we do as we worship God and edify one another here in the congregational assembly. But even more than that, I think the connection between what we do in the assemblies and the Word of God has, must be observable. It must be made manifest. When we sing, certainly the songs that we sing need to be scriptural songs. 
But I think we certainly, at least at times in our assembly and in our worship time together, that we need to tie what we're singing to the Scriptures. I thought it was great when Wiley this morning read that Scripture at the beginning as he talked about what we were going to do. What about prayers? Obviously, we need to be praying scripturally. But what if we prayed the Word of God? So that when we prayed, instead of just saying, God, please forgive us, what if we said instead, Father, please forgive us as we confess our sins to You, just as You promised in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. Instead of just praying, God, please help our church to grow, what if we prayed, Father, as we plant and water Your seed, please give the increase, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. Wouldn't that anchor us back into the Word? Realizing that our prayers are not just about us, not just about our selfish pleasures, but about us glorifying God. We're about the giving. I think it's important for us to point out that the giving is scriptural. I think uh, many of the times when we take up the collection, we ought to be demonstrating in Scripture why we're doing it. It reminds us, and I think it would certainly help any non-Christian guests that came into our assemblies, that they would be convicted that we're not just out for money, but we're simply following God. And we're doing His will, sacrificing for Him. They would understand that. The Lord's Supper, I think, I tell you what, I think if there's any of this that we do really well, tying it to the Word, it's the Lord's Supper, as we always Uh, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, uh, have somebody get up and talk about the Lord's Supper and talk about scriptural aspects, at least we do when we take the Supper in the morning. Uh, I think these things are, are important as it ties it back into the Word. Now, I'm not suggesting that every statement has to be backed up with we have to give a reference. I'm just saying that I think it would be really good for us if we tied so much of this back to the Word that when folks left, even if they didn't always agree with what we said, they'd have to say, well, i tell you what. They use their Bibles. There's a congregation that uses their Bible. I'll tell you, I remember this happened when I was in high school one time. I know this will surprise you. But when I was in high school, actually some folks, it may not surprise because they think I'm a nerd anyway, but I was on the quiz bowl team in high school. And whenever there was a Bible question, if anybody was going to answer it, it was going to be me. And the, the person, and, and believe me, I didn't answer all of them, but if it was going to be answered, it was going to be me. And the, the, the teacher sponsor one day asked me, she said, you guys read the Bible at your church, don't you? And I was kind of floored. You know, I didn't have much experience with many other churches back in high school. I'd been brought up in the Baptist denomination. I became a Christian when I was a teenager. And so, you know, as far as, as, far as I knew, that's just what churches did. They read their Bibles. But this person went to a church that didn't. And so it just floored me that somebody would go to a church and say, oh, at your church, they really read the Bible, don't they? Well, we want folks to leave here and say, wow, at that congregation, they really use their Bibles. And we can do that. But there's another avenue, I think, practically speaking, where we can do this, and this is in our classes. And there's really not much more to say about that. Everything that we just said about our assemblies, I think, applies to our classes. But I wanted to point this out mostly because, excuse me, mostly because we are about to start a new curriculum. As we're working over the next two months to get some new, for our kids, some new curriculum going on in there, some new classes, trying to get that revamped and worked up so that it's better for our kids. And I'm so excited about that. I'm happy that we're doing that. I'm happy for our kids. I'm happy for our congregation. I'm happy for the opportunities of growth that I think that's going to provide for us. 
But I just wanted to make a few comments about that. As we're working on this over the next two months and then over the next coming years as we continue on working on that, we need to remember what it said in 1 Timothy 3.15. What's our responsibility? To be the pillar and support of the truth. And everything we do as a congregation, that's what it needs to be about. We need to understand this. When it comes to Bible classes, we are not a babysitting club. We are not an entertainment organization. We are not providing an hour of recreation, entertainment, and babysitting for the kids so that the parents can learn the Bible for an hour. That's not what we're doing. That's not our job. Our job is to hold up the truth. And I certainly believe that we should hold up that truth and that we're allowed to do that in age-appropriate ways. But sadly, far too many people today think age-appropriate means the younger you are, the more games and fun and, and entertainment and recreation it's supposed to be. We need to understand something. We're a church. We're not a school. We're not a daycare. We're not a Mother's Day out. We are a church. And we're supposed to be teaching the Bible. We are offering Bible classes, not craft classes. We're about learning, not entertainment. And I've been in lots of places and I've talked to lots of people that seem to have the idea that a good Bible class for kids is to tell a Bible story and then just do crafts for the rest of the hour that we can somehow tie to it. But I'll tell you what we need to do. And I'm not opposed to hands-on things. But by the time we're done with the class, we better be able to say, this is what we were teaching. And here is how every single thing we did in this class taught the Word of God. And someone says, well, we just can't do that for 45 minutes with kids that are two years old, then maybe we shouldn't have a two-year-old class. But I'll tell you what, I think we can do it for 45 minutes with our two-year-olds. But we better be able to say, this is what we're teaching. Because that's what we're supposed to be. A group of learners and teachers. And we want folks that when they come into our classes and they walk away, that they'll be able to say, I learned the Bible there. They taught the Bible there. No matter how old they are, I'll tell you. Uh, I want to be careful. I won't stay on my soapbox too long. But I, when I was in, uh, in Beaumont, uh, we, we started doing a vacation Bible school for a while, and somebody called me up. They were so upset because their daughter had said, you know, I like the VBS at this other congregation better because it's a lot more fun. And I'm not opposed to being fun. But I pointed out to that parent, that's fine. I don't mind that congregation being known as having the VBS that's fun. I want our congregation to be known to have the VBS that's teaching the Bible. And brethren, that's what the Franklin Church should be known for. I am afraid that people today spend far too much time looking at the wrong statistic. We're trying to think about how entertaining and fun we can make the class this Sunday so that they'll be back Wednesday night. I want to know how much we can teach them this Sunday so that when they grow up and leave our homes, they'll stay, stick with the Lord instead of going off with the churches that provide more fun than we do. We've got to be teaching the Bible. That's what it's about. I'm not saying Bible class has to be miserable. I'm just saying that the fun comes secondary. Teaching is primary. Let's not get it reversed. Number three, in our lives, as individual Christians, 
as members of this congregation, as we go out in the community, people need to see the Bible within our lives. We need to be students of the Bible and teachers of the Bible individually so that folks can say, hey, I know somebody who's a member of that congregation. Man, they sure know their Bible. How are, they, how are we going to do that? How are we going to accomplish that? There's four things that I want you to think about. Four ways that we can accomplish that. Number one, you need to read the Bible. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul told Timothy, until I come, give attention to the reading, to exhortation, and to teaching. It's possible that the purpose here, Paul's meaning was, as the New American Standard translates it, about reading in public. And yet the point is the same. What Paul is demonstrating is that just reading Scripture is important. We need to have times and we need to have a plan for just, excuse me, reading the Bible. It doesn't have to be in-depth study, but just reading the Bible. What plan do you have for reading the Bible? This is not a competition. You don't have to read as much as the person next to you. I'm not telling you that, that you have to read two hours every day or, or however much. It doesn't matter to me. Are you reading one hour or 15 minutes? Are you reading 10 chapters or one chapter? My point is, my question is, are you reading the Bible? We need to be reading the Bible every day. We need to have the Word of God going into our eyes and into our hearts and our minds every day. Because this is the food that endures to eternal life. Sometimes we should perhaps fast when it comes to eating the food we eat every day. But we should never have a Bible fast. We should constantly be having a Bible feast. Reading the Word of God. What's your plan? Again, it's not a competition. You don't have to read as much as everybody else. But you just need to be reading the Bible. Number two, you need to not take it up a notch or two and study the Bible. There are times for reading, for just reading it and just letting it soak in. And then there are times for digging deep and studying the Bible. In First Timothy, excuse me, Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul wrote in Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. How can we do that? accurately handling the word of truth. Your translation may say rightly dividing. Accurately handling, rightly dividing. That's talking about studying. That's talking about getting in and digging deep and learning how it applies to us. That's going to include cross-referencing and letting Scripture define Scripture. That's going to include looking at the meanings of words. That's going to include looking deep into the lives of characters. That's going to mean studying books and passages and, and figuring out exactly what they mean and more than just reading them, but actually getting into them and then figuring out how they apply when we're going to learn how to accurately handle the Word of God we're going to be studying words like faith and grace and figuring out what they mean in our lives and for what we teach. We're going to be studying and have to learn how to apply books like Leviticus or Hebrews. And how do they apply to our lives? We're going to learn about the lessons that come from characters like David or Esther or Paul or Mary and what we need to learn from those for our lives as Christians. But we need to be studying the Word of God. What kind of plan do you have for studying the Word of God? Again, it doesn't have to be as much as everybody else. I'm just asking, what kind of plan do you have? Do you have one time a week that you've got set aside that this is where I'm going to study? Do you have a plan for here's how much I'm going to study in a year? What are you doing? What's your plan? We've got to be students and studiers of the Word of God. Here's the third one. 
And I know you're not going to like this one. So just prepare. Be prepared. Brace yourself. Memorize the Word of God. Psalm 119 and verse 11. Psalm 119 and verse 11 says, Your Word I have treasured in my heart. Some translations say, hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. I valued it and buried it in my heart so that I won't sin against you. You remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil? Three times, what did He say? It is written. It is written. It is written. He overcame because He knew Scripture. Bible memory work, Scripture memorization is not just a kid's class activity, though I think it ought to begin there. This is something that all of us ought to be doing. Memorizing God's Word. Passages that we need to use over again. Passages that we need to remember. We need to be remembering. I think what may happen to us sometimes is, I mean, let's just face it. At least especially this, the way this one's put together. This is a big book. And I think sometimes we look at it and say, man, I am never going to get that whole thing. And so what's the point in trying? And then we don't know any of it. But here's what we need to understand. The point, as we've learned today, is not to know everything. The point is to know more. The point is to grow in knowledge. And here's the thing. What what if you only memorize one verse a week? That's one verse next week that that you'll know then that you don't know now. That's growth. Are you ready for this? You realize that if you memorize one verse per day, in 22 years you'll have memorized the entire New Testament. When you're 82, Jimmy, you may know the entire New Testament. Some of you out there, anybody here that's 11 years old? Hmm. See, if you're 11 years old or younger, by my age, you could have the entire New Testament memorized. I can start on that today. And by the time I'm 55, anybody here 55? Or older? Yeah? If you'd started at my age, you could have the New Testament memorized already. Isn't that amazing? If you take it five verses a day in four and a half years, you'll have it memorized. Isn't that amazing? If you take it one verse per year, it's going to take you 7,795 years or something like that. So, you've got to be a little bit faster than that. But here's the key. Somebody say, well, I think that's impossible. I can work and work and work. I'll probably never have the whole thing memorized. Maybe not. But don't you think we might be better Christians and know the Word a little bit better if we just try? You don't have to take my plan. You don't have to follow any of those suggestions there. But just do something to learn that Word and get it into your heart. Memorize it. And then number four, obviously, live it. Live it. We've got to be applying it to our lives. There in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we've already read verses 15 through 17. If we back up to verse 14, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul said to Timothy, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul told Timothy, continue in those things. He wasn't just saying continue to study them, continue to know them. He meant continue in them, walk in them, abide in them, live in them, do them. 
Let folks see us doing them. Let folks see that the Bible is part of our lives. James chapter 1 and verse 25. James chapter 1 and verse 25. James wrote, But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. We must not be forgetful hearers. It does us no good to read, study, and memorize if we're not going to actually do what we're reading, studying, and memorizing. We've got to be effectual doers. Because as the song says, it might just be that we are the only Bible that some people will see. Are they actually going to see the Bible in us? And that means talking about the Bible ought to be a part of our lives. Somebody says, what did you do today? We ought to be able to say something like, I was reading from Luke this morning. I read where Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. That was really helpful to me because I struggle with prayer sometimes. And I, I really paid attention to that. We ought to be able to say this. When folks come up and say, why do you do this? We ought to be able to say, well, because the Bible says. And tell them what the Bible says. The Bible ought to be a part of our lives. And we shouldn't be ashamed of it because we're wanting to bring people in. And when they see the Bible in us, and they say, I know those folks at the Franklin Church, they know their Bibles. They live their Bibles. I want you to think about it this way. How many people that you come in contact with this week are going to want to make a spiritual change this week? Probably not many. But how many people that you come in contact with on a regular basis over the next 15 or 20 years, sometime during those 15 or 20 years, are going to want to make a spiritual change? Probably the majority. And if we have been living lives that say those people there know and use their Bibles, they'll want to check us out. And so we need to be doing this in our assemblies, in our classes, and in our lives. We need to be teaching from the Bible. That's what it takes to grow a congregation. That's what it takes to get more people into heaven. And that's what we're about, getting more people into heaven. Amen? Absolutely. I hope this lesson was beneficial to you, helping you and encouraging you to get into the Word of God and make sure to learn it and know it and teach it as part of your work within the congregation of which you're a part. If you have any questions about the Bible, about Christ Church, about how the Bible should govern Christ Church, please give us a call at 615-794-2359, or you may contact us through our website, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps somebody has given you this lesson on CD or on audio tape. If that's the case, may I encourage you to please go to that website that I just mentioned. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there, both in outline and audio format. And you're free to download those and use them in whatever way you believe will honor and glorify God, drawing others closer to Him. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.